What is the church? What should it look like? And what has it been called to do? In this series on the foundation and future of Cornerstone, we answer these questions and seek to carve out a biblical path forward for being the church in Southampton Roads. The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18, that's page number 927, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you. Jordan, since you did not, where'd you, where'd you go? There you are. Since you did not choose to defend yourself against Ed's attack, I will defend you. Ed, where are you? He just left? Oh, there he is back. Okay. So, Ed, I, I need to call you out publicly. Jordan never asked for a private jet. It was semi-private. He wanted that timeshare thing, remember? And the answer is still no, by the way. Um, I, I will give a short disclaimer at the beginning of this message and will probably repeat some form of it week to week for the next uh, three Sundays after this, and that I, um, th- this isn't going to be normal the rest of the month. Okay? If, if you've been here, you know what we're doing. I'll explain what we're doing and kind of recap it if you haven't been here in just a second. But uh, this is the, the future portion of this series, Foundation Future of Cornerstone. Today begins the future portion. And as such, the sermons are going to look very, very different than what we would normally have on any regular Sunday together. Having said that, we will get back to normal in May when we finally begin what? What book is coming next? Mark. Very good. A few of you remembered. So uh, we'll be digging into Mark starting in May and uh, when we get into that, everything will be back as it should be. In the meantime, let, let's focus on Acts 18 here at the beginning. We want to just read the first 11 verses as we begin our time together, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Luke writes this. It says, after this, after the this here is reference to Paul arguing with the philosophers up on Mars Hill in Athens. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray. Jesus, we approach today's message and the next three that will follow it with hopefully a healthy amount of fear and respect for you and your work in this body. It is no accident that Cornerstone exists. You have called this body together so that we can serve you in this mission 
of making people like you, of helping them go from sinners and rebels, criminals against your holy law, to people who love you and, and, and live to be like you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for the fact that you choose to use us in all of our brokenness and our weakness and our foolishness and our sinfulness to, to spread your great name around this world and even just around the neighborhoods of Virginia Beach. We just think of what you've done in this church over the past 12 years, and we marvel that you could use us in the way you have. And so as we begin to lay out a vision for the future, help us to not take our eyes off the fact that this church belongs to you, that our plans are nothing. They're just that. They're just our plans. We, we, we hope that we have done our best to be sensitive to the spirit and to the leading that, that you give us, but they're just, they're our plans. We want your plan for Cornerstone. We want to be what you want us to be. We want to be used in the ways you want us used so that in the end, you get all the glory from this. And so, Lord, help our hearts and minds to be in the right frame of reference over the next four Sundays to hear these things and think about them, but never lose sight of what, what our ultimate purpose is, and that's to make people like you because this is your church. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that we get to be together this morning. May it be profitable. Amen. Let me begin uh, by saying welcome back for all of you who have been a part of the series to date and to, uh, as I said earlier, the foundation and future of Cornerstone. If uh, you have been with us over the past several weeks, you know that we took the entire month of March just to lay out a foundation of understanding who we are as a church, what, what we're all about, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And then last week we had a break because it was Easter. And let me also just say while I bring up the fact of Easter, wow, does the room feel more open today? You got a little more... Elbow room, I was amazed. We had 146 people in, in this room here, not in the rest of the building. So if it felt tight, it's because it was tight. That was why. So, uh, But it was exciting. But Easter served as a little break for us between these two halves of the series. So we took, we took March to go over the foundation. And now, beginning today and for the next three Sundays, we're going to start laying out a concept for the future of what Cornerstone is going to be, or we hope it to be by God's grace. We, we laid the foundation there in March in four parts, and since we had the break, and since not everybody has been to all four, if you will pardon me, I am going to relay them or review them at least quickly uh, in just a few minutes to make sure that it's all together. I want to summarize it and, and review it so that it's in one nice, neat little package. We began in week one, first week of March, by talking about who owns this church. To whom does it belong? Is it our church? Answer the question, yes or no? No, it's not our church. Who, who does it belong to? Okay, Jesus, specifically, let's be specific, Jesus, right, because Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the church, and as the head, that means he is the supreme authority over it, he's the ruler of it, he gets to decide who we are, define who we are, define what we do and where we're going in the future, so it doesn't matter what aspect of, of church life we talk about, it always comes back to him. And so when we talked about our purpose, for example, it wasn't simply about us coming up with something that we like, a purpose that we find reasonable and doable based on the, the things we see around us. It's not about us. We had to ask the Lord, what is your purpose for the church? And to do that, of course, we turn to Colossians 1. I'll talk about that in a moment. Or as we talk to the future, 
in what sense do we understand our plans for the future? It can't just simply be that they're ours and we're committed to our plans at all costs. What if our plans don't work? What if our plans aren't the Lord's plans? Well, if that's the case, guess what? The worst that can happen is I look stupid, but guess what? I always look stupid, so that's fine. It doesn't really change anything. The, the fact of the matter is, it's not about us. That, that's what I'm trying to communicate here. It's about Jesus. This is his church. He is the head of it. And so everything else that we think and say about this church has to be said and understood in relation to him. Second foundation stone we laid was an understanding and a clarification about what the church is and is not. And it would be inappropriate to rank these foundation stones in terms of importance, which one's more important, which one's less, but boy, this one is really important, really, really important. We, we clarify three things that the church is not, and I hope you listened well, and I hope that some of them have bothered your mind and your thinking. One, the church is not a building. It's not a place. You never go to church. You can't go there because it's, it's not a, a place to, to visit or a place to go. The church is not an event or service, so you can never attend it, contrary to how we normally talk. And this one is... is even of the three, big in my mind, perhaps in the other two, because people think they're part of a church simply because they show up and they sit in a chair. And so because they come and they're part of an event on Sunday for two hours, oh, this is, this is my church because I go sit in a chair for two hours a week. We, we don't apply that logic to anything else in life, I hope you understand. It's not like when you go to the movie theater and you sit for two hours, you're like, I'm part of the movie theater staff because I sat in this event for two hours and now I'm a part of the movie theater. No, if, if you want to be a part of the movie theater staff, you've got to talk to the manager and get a job, and you're going to be given responsibilities, and you're going to have to be involved. It involves a lot more than just showing up at an event once a week for two hours and sitting in a chair. And so in whatever sense you think about the church and how, how you understand it, please understand it is not an event. It is not a service. Third, it is not a tradition. It, it is not a tradition. It's not just a part of the American dream like, you know, 4th of July and apple pie and a service on Sunday to worship the big guy, right? That's, that's not what this is about. People have this vision in their minds of what the perfect little American family looks like. They work hard all week so they can get all their stuff. And on Saturday, they play really hard. And on Sunday, we all sit in our Sunday bests all together in a pew and we worship. And then we get back to the daily grind. No. That, that is not the church. The church isn't about your American dream or whatever version of that dream you happen to have in your mind. Those are all wrong views of the church. The church isn't any of those things. The church is a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is an identity. It is not a place. It is not an event. And it is definitely not a tradition. And so if you are really going to be a part of the church, it means you're going to have to be a part of a family of a community that Jesus is assembling around himself and around the gospel. It means you have to love one another, serve one another, work together to complete the mission that Jesus has for us. That's what it means to be the church. So we, we, we clarify that and are so, so adamant about this point because we want everybody who is connected to Cornerstone in any way to understand that when we as elders talk to you about what it means to be the church, this is how we're defining it. So there's no, no ambiguity. You, you understand what we understand, what we think when we use that word. Third, we looked at our purpose 
as defined for us by Jesus, by Paul there in Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. And from that passage, we took the following statement that our purpose is to work with all of the energy that God gives us to proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone to God perfect in Christ Jesus. This is what the church is supposed to be doing based on this passage of Scripture. This is the mission that we are supposed to be fulfilling together. And you could perhaps word it in different ways. I mean, different churches will say similar things and, and different words. That's fine. I don't... I don't care about your words. We, we chose this wording because of the language used here in these two verses in Colossians chapter 1 that we focused on. So we talk about working. We're going to work hard. We're going to take chances and burn the midnight oil, and we're going to strive and labor and act and do. But in all of that, we're understanding that it's not about our actions. It's about what the Lord is doing in us. That's what we're accomplishing we're going to proclaim Christ. Why? Because he's our only message. We, we have no other reason for existing if we do not proclaim Jesus. People don't need our advice and our wisdom and our counsel. They need the truth of the scriptures if they're actually going to change. That means that the church isn't a, a proclaimer of social or political action. The church is, is a proclaimer of God's truth, and it always needs to be that. Third, we're going to do that with everyone we need to be thinking and acting as wide as the world we live in. How are we going to make the people around us here in Hampton Roads like Jesus? What's our plan? How are we going to do that nationally? How are we going to do that internationally? We have a responsibility to think of proclaiming Christ to everyone, and we will. And then fourth and finally, we're doing all of this with the end goal of presenting everyone perfect, mature in Jesus, which is what I talked about a moment ago that our goal is to make people like him, they, that they will look like him and talk like him and think like him and, and, and live like him in every realm of life. And that's, that's what we want for ourselves, right? Okay, we, we individually should want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And as we look at the unbelievers in the world around us, we should want more and more of them to look like Jesus Christ. That's, this is our purpose. This and the final piece, just building immediately off of that, the final piece of foundation that we laid was what we call our core values, those five things we gave you. If our purpose is to be like Jesus, then what do we have to focus on to get there? What components or concepts do we need to constantly be pushing in our lives and each other's lives? What, what do we build our ministries around and children and, and, and Sundays and community groups and just life? What do, what do we got to focus on we picked? Picked five things. One, we said people need to grow in truth. Why? Because Jesus is truth. Truth is the foundation of everything else. And so if you're going to grow, if you're going to become more like Christ, you've got to be growing in truth. You've got to be thinking more and more like him. But truth without anything else is dead. Truth should always lead, secondly, to love, both for God and each other. Jesus said it, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Night before he, he dies, he says to his disciples, this is the commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. This is Christianity, that we love God, not, not on a, a surface level, we just talk about it, but on a deep heart level, passion for Jesus, passion for the scriptures, passion for what it means to be his follower. Love is what we need if we're going to be like Christ. Third, we need to grow in community. Jesus is building his people. 
And so being a part of Christ means that you be a part of that people, right? That you, you're a part of that community. No lone rager Christians in, in, in the church. That doesn't exist. Fourth, we grow in service. Jesus came to serve. He proved that ultimately by dying on the cross for our sins. And if he served us in that greatest way, certainly we should expect of ourselves and each other that we serve in, in many lesser ways than that. And then finally, we need to be growing in mission because Jesus has left us here to finish his work. If you don't understand that component, you don't really get what the church is. That, that Jesus came to this earth on a mission. What was his mission? To die. He came to die so that we could be forgiven of our rebellion against God. He came to take our sins on himself and to bear them on the cross so that everyone who places their faith in him will, will be saved, will be forgiven. But he left. And not everyone has heard that amazing truth. That's what we ha are here for, to continue this mission of proclaiming the gospel so that more and more and more people will be made perfect in Jesus Christ. And so, folks, that's, that's our foundation. If you want to understand who Cornerstone is, you just got it. And, I mean, if you were here for all the Sundays, you got a lot more of it. But, but in, a, in a nutshell, this is, this is how we are understanding ourselves. And it is upon this foundation that we shall now begin to build our future. Now, with all of that laid out, it is time to start talking about our future. But there's something very important to understand as we begin this process. If you were a general who was getting ready to go to war, you, you understand what your purpose is, correct? You, you want to win the battle. You want to win the war. You don't just get a, a hold of your purpose and maybe understand what the purpose means and say, okay, well, i got to focus on, on killing these guys and taking this territory and doing this and that. Okay, i got the concepts. Let's just go fight. No, no general goes into battle like that. Before every battle something very important needs to happen as they begin to implement the plan. They, they have to stop and just take an assessment of, of the features, sort of, so to speak, on the battlefield. They, they just look around and say, okay, where are the minefields? Where are the tanks? Where's the army? What cities are important? What communication and transportation routes are important? They have to do an assessment of, of the features so that when they begin to implement strategy, they know how to, how to direct themselves. If you're in business, you get this concept, right? Because you don't just start, oh, I know I want to make money and I don't want to be the best at this. Let's just go sell. Make our widgets and sell them. Why? How? Where? What do you you, you got to understand the market, understand the competition if you're going to do this well. Well, in a similar way, we have laid, I believe, I hope, I pray, a strong foundation of understanding who this church is. And it is now time to start looking ahead. But we can't look ahead without surveying the field. I'm not talking about laying another foundation stone now. I'm just saying looking around at this area, at ourselves, and trying to understand what features about who we are and where we are and when we are in this world affect the plan going forward. And that's really the question that I have for us today. How or what features do we need to be thinking about as we begin to lay out strategy for reaching Hampton Roads with the gospel? Well, what I have done, and you will be the judge of whether or not this was helpful, is I have broken down certain features, or six of them, 
into two different categories, and I want to show these features to you this morning. The reason we're doing this is because we believe that the same thing that Jesus said to Paul there in Acts 18 is true of us. Remember the the verses I read just a moment ago? Here's Paul on the verge of, of trying to minister in Corinth, and the Lord graciously appears to him and says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I'm with you. I have many people in this city. He gives Paul an assurance that the, the mission he's about to embark on is, is with God's blessing. Well, I would like to tell you that Jesus has appeared to me and spoken words to me, but he has not. I, I, only the words he's written down. But on behalf of, of Chris and Ed and Jordan, I say to you, we are convinced that the same truth that Jesus speaks to Paul there in, in, in Acts 18 about Corinth is true of Virginia Beach and Norfolk and Portsmouth and Chesapeake, that there are many people in the city many people who belong to the Lord. How are we going to understand ourselves in relation to that? What, what features do we need to think about? Let me give you these categories and these features, and I hope you will understand them. This is going to be very different than a normal Sunday. I hope you'll understand them and see what we're going to do. I'm breaking them into two groups, external and internal features, okay? And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes here because I want you to be as strategic in your thinking as we're trying to be in ours Maybe you'll think of more things. Maybe you won't think of them the same way, but hopefully at least you'll be able to understand what we're looking at. What we are trying to talk about here is stuff outside of this building that directly affect the strategy for how we go about making people perfect in Jesus. Okay, do you understand what we're thinking? We're being strategic. We're playing risk. We're, we're playing spades. I love, I love strategy. I love thinking about how, how to get, do something like this. We're thinking strategically here. Some of you struggle with that. Just, just try to... Stay with me as much as you can. What things outside of this building will affect our strategy for going and making people like Jesus? Number one is local identity. Let me ask you a very important question. I've used a word or a phrase actually two times, I think, already this morning, but we haven't defined it. What do you think of when you hear the words Hampton Roads? Do, do, do you even know what the roads in Hampton Roads refers to? Who, who knows? What is it? Say it. The rivers, the waterways. Okay, the, the Hampton Roads, the roads in Hampton Roads are waterways. It's referring to the mouth of the, the Chesapeake Bay and the James and Elizabeth Rivers and all their tributaries and all the fingers. All of the communities and all of the counties and all of the cities that touch those roads are generally referred to as Hampton Roads. But guess what? Nobody else understands that, and half the people living here don't get it either. All right? If you read the paper at all, you know that our civic leaders and business leaders have been pushing for years to change this term. They don't like Hampton Roads because when companies and advertisers come and they look at it, they're like, Hampton Roads, where is that? What is that? And they don't get it, and so the, the thought is that people don't invest here. But I would say that the identity problem this area faces is much, much deeper than just a name that we slap on a map above a whole bunch of random counties, cities, and towns. The identity problem we face here is that people simply don't identify with this area. You meet someone in a store or in a restaurant, and you say, where do you live? And very often, the answer you will get back is, well, I'm from Pennsylvania, but I live in Chesapeake. Did I ask you where you were born? (laughs) Why do you feel the need, or why do people feel the need to clarify where they're from when you ask them where they live? It's because they're telling you in a roundabout way, I don't identify with this place. 
My, my home is Michigan or Texas or California or Pennsylvania or somewhere else. I just happen to sleep at night in this particular location. Okay, that's, that's what they're really saying. This is a rampant problem around our area that people just simply don't identify with it. And so how does a local church who's trying to reach a, a, a region like this reach people who don't even identify themselves with the region? You see the, you see the problem here, the, the feature we're, we're recognizing? Having said all that, we have noticed, and as we've talked about it and thought about it, an exception to this. Remember the example I just gave when you're in the store and you ask the person where they're from, and they say, well, I'm not from Pennsylvania, I'm from Chesapeake. Actually, people don't say it that way. Here's what they will say. I'm from Pennsylvania, but I live in Great Bridge. Very seldom do people around here identify themselves with their city. That's just too big of an area. You say you're from Virginia Beach. It's 442,000 people spread across umpteen hundreds of thousands of square miles. I don't know what it is, but it's too big to get your minds around. What do people say? They'll, they'll say, I'm from Red Mill. That's what I say. People talk about it. Oh, I'm from, I'm from Pungo. I'm from Great Neck. I'm from Deep Creek. I'm from Ghent. I'm from South Norfolk. The, they identify themselves not on the city level, definitely not on the regional level, but not even on the city level. They identify themselves on the little sectional level of our area. Do you know what I'm talking about? No one thinks in, their, in, in terms of their local identity on that larger scale. And so as we're thinking about the future of Cornerstone and what we need to be doing and how we need to be focusing ourselves, we're recognizing up front that talking about reaching Hampton Roads is really not very helpful. Even talking about reaching Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and Norfolk and Portsmouth, even that's not really that helpful. How do we reach Deep Creek? How do we reach Hilltop? How do we go about reaching Chimney Hill? How do we reach all these little sections of the city where we all live? We're in those sections with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a meaningful way. It's a feature we need to keep in mind as we plan out our strategy. Second feature we point out is the military, right? Can't, can't ignore this one. It's probably the most obvious one. I probably should put it first. I, I saw a number this week that put this in perspective for me in a whole new way. It was, a, it was ranking, um, or not really ranking, it was just simply listing out all the, the military installations in Hampton Roads, the larger region, and all of the personnel stationed there. How many people are stationed at, at Naval Station Norfolk? Someone knows this question. Two million? What? Or too many? <laughs> How many? 90,000 plus? Sorry. I was going to let you, I would have let you guess, but I didn't see your hand in time. About 90,000 plus. And the reason that put that in perspective for me is that's about three times the size of my hometown, Colesboro, North Carolina. Three times in one, one little base. The, the military presence here is huge. And it's, it's part of, I think, why people struggle with that local identity question because no one's local. I, I, you very, very rarely meet people who are truly, truly local. When you do, I get excited. I'm like, wow, I've, never, I've only met like five of you before. This is awesome. I ask questions because I want to know what the area was like. People aren't, people aren't local. This is a region of transplant. And the military causes a number of things to be true of us and our culture here and our church that aren't going to be true elsewhere. I'll give you three examples of this. One, because of the military, we have a very, very transient area. Okay, I'll just throw that word out and get it out of the way. Very, very transient area. On average, how long do we expect to keep people here at Cornerstone? Anyone take a guess? How many years? Three to four. That's average. You realize in 12 years how many families have been a part of this church? 
It's, it's mind-boggling to look back at old directories and old, st- I mean, families after families after families, they come in and they're a part of this church and then they get stationed somewhere else and they're gone. It happens all the time. It's an unfortunate part of what it means to, to be ministering in this area. Bill Branks has a great, great saying for this. I've shared it with you before. I'll share it with you again. It's like building a church on a conveyor belt. He's exactly right because they just, mm, 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 just like that, constantly moving across. This is a feature we don't like, but it is certainly one we cannot ignore as we begin to lay out strategy for the future. We have to be thinking about what that's going to mean for us and how we, we work in that and around that. Here's another thing the military does to us. Because of the military, we have a very, very young area, very young area. If you need proof, look around, okay? Uh, very young. I'll talk, I'll give you a couple of statistics about this one in a moment, not now, but just for the point of making the observation, this area is very young, primarily because of the military, Third, because of the military, people have a tendency to not invest themselves deeply into the area or each other. It's because they're transient. So if you know you're only going to be here two, three years, you don't want to make a whole bunch of friends. And this isn't just true of the military folks. Please don't feel like I'm picking on you guys. This is true of all the civilians around them because the military family moves in next door and it's like, why get to know them? (laughs) They're going to move in two years or three years. So who cares? It causes this area to have a real plasticky, surfacey kind of feel to it. I, I feel that. I don't know if you do. Because people just don't really get into each other's lives and don't really put down roots too deeply in this area. I'll give you a statistic here that shocked me and yet didn't shock me all at the same time. I think you'll understand. Every year, ODU does a survey. They call it Life in Hampton Roads. Have you ever heard of the survey? They, they just survey a whole bunch of people, and they generate a report and put out a whole bunch of statistics about Life in Hampton Roads, is aptly named. And they ask a particular question in there that, that you will recognize the value of immediately. The question was this, do you plan to still live in Hampton Roads five years from now? Anyone want to take a guess? Percentage of people who said either no or I don't know. 10%? What? 80 said no. <laughs> here, here uh, it's somewhere between 10 and 80. It's 30%. One in three people almost in, around us are saying up front, I don't know if I'm going to be here in five years or I will definitely not be here in five years. They are already planning to, to leave. How do, you, how do you manage your thinking around strategy when you recognize that almost a third of your population is planning or at least uncertain of their long-term prospects for being in an area. Well, you can't ignore that reality. You, you have to recognize that this is just a piece of what it means to be here in Hampton Roads serving Jesus. And so whether we're talking about the transient nature of the area, you're talking about uh, the age of our population, you're talking about the lack of putting down roots, military is a huge feature, one we cannot ignore as we lay out strategy for the future. Here's the third feature that is outside of us. Well, This one kind of applies to all. It's just some general demographic information. You can go to sleep now. This is the the boring part, right? Um, I hope not. I like statistics, but then again, I'm a dork, and everybody knows that. So uh, I think statistics are hugely helpful because they don't give you information in and of themselves. What they do is they show you trends. So you have to be able to think much higher level when you're looking at this kind of information because it's going to, it's going to give you some stuff, some, some things to think about that will guide us into the future. Uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about population and age first. As of the 2010 census, there are 1,671,683 people living in the larger Hampton Roads area. 
that doesn't help you, does it? Because Hampton Roads is, as we've already identified, it's just too big. It's too nebulous for people to get their minds around. So let me give you the population of just the big four cities, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Portsmouth, Norfolk. Of that 1.67 million people, whatever, that live in that area, 1,006,069 of them live in just those four cities. Over Almost two-thirds, a little over two-thirds, right about just in these four cities that we live in. So if we divide that up amongst the 180 or so people that are a part of Cornerstone today, you get like 6,500 apiece. You can all work on that, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's overwhelming when you begin to think about just the sheer size of the area, but it doesn't feel that big because it's all spread out over such a very large area. So you, you kind of get a, you lose sight of what's really going on. I, I want to show you a graph that will help put some of those numbers in perspective in relation to both age and gender. And so I'm going to, I got to warn you up front, the graph is, is from 2007 and the number, all the rest of my numbers are 2010. I couldn't find a 2010 graph, so, but the numbers didn't move that much. So it'll still be helpful for us. Here's the graph. What the graph is doing is it's showing population divided by gender. That's blue is male, red is female and divided by age. So the bottom here is zero to four, Next is 5 to 9, 10 to 14, so on. Top one is 85 plus. Does anything stand out to you about that graph? Women live longer. That's true. I didn't even notice that. But I already knew that was going to happen for me, so I wasn't, I'm not shocked by it. Look, look at this. The vast, vast majority of people in our area are 49 and under. As soon as you hit the 50 and up crowd, pyramid. Now, I recognize that there will always be some extent of that, but you compare this kind of a graph and to other areas, and it's not quite as dramatic. The, the, the vast majority of our population here is very, very young, which we already observed. In fact, the median age here in this area is 34 and a half. Is anyone in here exactly 34 and a half? You're 34 and a half. Beth is average. <laughs> Finally, you're average. <laughs> You've made it. Yes. I'm like 34.9. I was going to use myself, but I'm a little above average. I'm old now. I'm officially old in the area. Um, yeah, the 34 and a half is, is median. You say, well, I don't really understand median. Can you put that in context to something else? Well, okay, here's the median age of the U.S. population. It's, it's 36.8. You're like, it's only 2.3 years. No, no, no. You don't understand. When you begin averaging out the millions upon millions upon millions of people to come up with median ages, two years is huge. We are babies compared to the rest of the country here. And, and that's what, of course, we see around us. I mean, our, our church is filled, overflowing with children. Everywhere you go, it's overflowing with children in this area. And it drives the median age down. We live in a very, very young area. And so as we think about that for the future, we have to keep in mind that whatever our church looks like, it, it needs to be based on or built around this idea that we live in a, a very young town. That's a population demographic. Let's talk about racial and ethnic demographics for a moment. I didn't get a slide for this one, but I was shocked to see how diverse our area really is. No clue. I had no clue before looking this up what our breakdown was, but when, if you ask people to identify themselves by race or ethnicity, in Hampton Roads, if you, category of white Caucasian, 61.7%. National average, 756 
uh, black African-American, Hampton Roads, 32 and a half. National average, 12.7. Hispanic, Latino, Hampton Roads, 4%. National average, 15.1. So we're under in that category. Asian, general, just general Asian category, Hampton Roads, 3.1 versus national average, 4.5. But if you look at a specific subset of, of the Asian category, look at Filipino, Hampton Roads, 1.8, national, 0.8. So there's all kinds of weird stuff. And when you look at a, like a pie chart of it or you find a pie chart of it, our, our pie looks really different than the national average. We are much, much more diverse than, than you would find almost anywhere else in the country. And guess what? Our churches should reflect that, particularly given the areas they're in. Let's talk about economics and income because that needs to affect us as well. Um, this area is notorious for low-paying jobs, is it not? I, I saw this graph. I'll just put it up here showing Hampton Roads per capita income compared to the U.S. standard. So the top line, the black line, is, the, is 100%, U.S. standard. The best we ever get is like 96%. This is 97 to 2007, by the way, so I don't know what the newer numbers look like. But it was low as like 87% in 2000, low-paying jobs around here. I, I, let's do a quiz, test you guys on something. What is the number one employment industry in Hampton Roads? Now, make, I'll, I'll clarify, and then I'll let you take a guess. I didn't say number one employer. The number one employer is the Department of Defense, okay, by far, number one employer. We're talking industry. So military is an industry all to itself. Education is an industry. Healthcare is an industry. What is the number one employment industry in Hampton Roads? Okay, one at a time, What? Shipbuilding would be military. No, military is number two. Service is not correct. Manufacturing, we wish. Labor, nope. You ready? Retail. Target, JCPenney, Walmart. The number one and number two industries for employment in Hampton Roads, number one, retail. Edges out military just by a hair. But it does. More people are employed in retail than, than by the Department of Defense and all of its related stuff. So unless I am misunderstanding how you guys all get paid, you know, you, all you E5s in here and, and all you people who work in retail, yeah, whoo, there you go, someone got it happy. I don't think you're making six figures. Maybe you're hiding something, I don't know, but maybe, maybe working at Target's more lucrative than I thought. No wonder if your top two industries are retail and military, this graph looks like it does. We have very low wages for very high price, uh, high cost of living in the area. It, it affects who we are. That means that our church is never going to be filled with super rich people. I'm just throwing it out there what it's going to look like. We're going to be always average to below. That's just the nature of being in this area. We need to take this into account. So these are just some demographic realities of our area that we think we need to keep in mind as we think strategy for the future needs to influence our thinking. And then the fourth feature I want to point out is the spiritual and religious context of this area. Spiritual and religious context of this area. And I'm going to point this out in two different parts, two different ways here. First, I want to go back to that Life in Hampton Road study that I mentioned earlier. It had a question in there that I wasn't expecting to see, but when I saw it, I was like, ah, that, that tells me quite a bit about how people view themselves. Okay, this is a survey, so however helpful a survey is, there you go. But how people answer these kind of questions for themselves in relation to these questions. The question was this, 
how often do you attend public religious slash spiritual services, parentheses, in either small or large groups? So how often do you attend public religious slash spiritual services, parentheses, in either small or large groups? So they're very broad. How often? What do you do? What's your, what's your standard? Over 25% of the people who responded said they never attended anything or they just didn't even know how to answer the question. One in four in our area have no concept of any religious connection, like of any sort. I'm not saying it's real. I'm just saying no connection whatsoever. If I include in that all of the people who either said once a month or less, so these are the Christmas Easter crowd, the Creasters. Okay, somebody like to call them the Creasters. These are the Creasters who show up just you know, twice a year. If you include all of them, you get to a grand total of 42% of people living around us either never go or only once a, once a month or less. Like, so this is a very, very rare crowd. That's two out of every five people at Walmart. No connections to talk about. And even for that other 58% of people, now let's bring in the second part of this particular feature. How many churches are in Hampton Roads? <laughs> How many of you were here when we changed our church's name? Raise your hand. There's, not, there's a few of us left. Okay. We, we used to be Colonial Baptist Church of Oceana. The reason we had that name was because our parent church, Colonial Baptist Church, had planted us, and they were gonna, every church was going to be Colonial Baptist Church of blank, fill in the blank, wherever you're at. So we were of Oceana. And um, when we were changing our name in 07, we, we were going to take the word Baptist out. And there were multiple reasons why we were doing that, but one of them was a project I did one day. I sat down in my office and opened up the yellow pages, and I went through and I simply counted in the yellow pages the number of churches with the word Baptist in their name under the Baptist heading. I found, remember yellow pages you have to pay to be in, okay? I found over 300 Baptist churches just in the yellow pages alone. I have no clue how many Baptist churches there actually are in Hampton Roads. I just know how many paid to have their name put in the yellow pages. If we add in that the Methodist and the Lutheran and the Episcopalian and the Presbyterian and the Catholic and all, I mean, it's got to be in the thousands of churches around this area. So 58% of the people who actually do show up, who knows where they're going, the reality is, is that probably many, many, many of those churches that they go to are not faithful to Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And so even though they show up, it's not changing who they are. They're not being made perfect in Jesus through that. And so we need to, we need to remember this. So these are some of the, the features, the external features we need to keep in mind as we lay out strategy. Now let me switch gears and give you some internal features, just a couple of things about us just in this room. So think about yourselves now. You can be selfish, all right? Two things that we need to think about for the future as well. One is continued growth. Continued growth here, just what we're seeing. I, I, um, I don't know why. We've talked about this. None of us know why. Cornerstone keeps growing. Year over year, month over month, we continue seeing grow, growth. We just set two records in the past two Sundays. Two Sundays ago, the Sunday before Easter, we set a new children's record. We had 94 kids, 12 and under. That beat the previous record of 91 that had just been set like six weeks prior. Um, literally, it was just about five, six weeks prior to that. So we had 94 kids, 12 and under that Sunday. Last week, we set all-time attendance record of 240. That was the most we've ever had, 146 sitting in this room alone. It was crazy tight. The hallways were a mess. It was terrible, but it was great. Loved it. Um, I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back. I just simply say it to point out to you this keeps happening. I mean, last Easter... 
we had what was at that time our biggest service ever at 218. It was the first time we had cracked 200 since 2007. Actually, we'd never, I don't think we'd ever been 200 prior to that. So the very first time we'd ever done it. And we were like, oh my goodness, we had over 200 people. And now about every three, four, five weeks, we're over 200. It's become regular now. We don't even think about it when we, we go over. I, I, I saying all this, not in a proud way, not to, to draw attention to ourselves, but just to be factual about it, that we have to consider what this means. We just finished the first quarter. So I can, I'm going to show you a graph. Then I'm going to make a point. I hope it's clear why I'm doing this here. Here are our Q1 averages for the past five years. So this is weekly attendance by quarter from 2009 to 2013. In 2009, first quarter of 2009, we averaged 79 people per Sunday. 2010, we averaged 105 people per Sunday, first quarter. 2011, first quarter, we averaged 126 per Sunday. 2012, first quarter, 148 per Sunday. And now this past quarter that we just ended last week, 187 per Sunday. We don't know if God's going to keep this up. Quite frankly, I'm not sure we can handle it. <laughs> um, whether he does or doesn't, as long as it's happening, what kind of stewards are we going to be of this? What are we going to do? Do we just want to keep getting bigger for the sake of getting bigger, or do we have a plan? It's a feature that we can't ignore as we think about the future and what we're going to do. Uh, the third, or excuse me, the last feature I would show you is what I'm calling stacked bench and stands. <laughs> And I'm using a basketball analogy in, in honor of March Madness. I'm going to hopefully finish second in the church league. I'll be really excited if I get that high up. But, um, you know, when they say a team's really good, they have a stacked bench. At Cornerstone, our team's so good, we have a stacked bench, and some of them are in the stands too. I mean, we've got probably, I believe, one of the most amazing collections of families, people that I've ever seen in any church. Faithful, serving willing to, to, to live their lives for Jesus, even excited already about what they know about the foundation and what little they understand about the purpose. I've already heard you guys talking about some of this stuff, and that excites me. It's great that you're all here. Is this the best way to use all these amazing families? Is, there, is this the best way to take all these resources that God is giving us and, and reach our area by keeping you all here? Maybe, maybe not. It's a feature we have to think about. What do we do with, with all of the talent that God gives us? Josh Stonehouse, I talked to him this week. He, he was so good talking to him, by the way. But he, uh, he was so good for me in this because he came to us when he became a deacon and says, what's on the table? What tools are on the table? What stuff is here? What, do we, what should we be using for the Lord? And he would push it and push it and push it. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then after a while, the Lord cracked, you know, opened my eyes to understand he's right. We've got... We've got resources here that other churches would dream of having. Stuff that nobody else gets to, gets to enjoy. What are we going to do with it? Those are, folks, these are the features of the battlefield that we need to be thinking through as we talk about our strategy for proclaiming Christ to everyone, locally, nationally, internationally, as we proclaim Christ to everyone to make them perfect in Jesus. I'm telling you up front, we do not have all the answers. Okay? We don't even know all the questions. We know some of the questions. That's why we've been, that's why all this is here, because we've been thinking about this and talking about this and, and working through it. And so we've got what we've got at the moment. But over the next three Sundays, based on all this stuff, based on all these features, we're going to begin presenting 
an actual vision, okay? So you hope you were going to get it today. Sorry to disappoint. You're going you're to get it next week, okay? We're going to actually begin now laying out a vision that's based off of the foundation that takes into account all these features and that hopefully will guide us into the future. And so what we want to, to ask of you this week, and we mean it sincerely, will you please be praying this, this week particularly? That as we go into next Sunday and the following two after that, that God will help us to have a heart for what he's doing in this world and our place in it. You're not just what you are, remember? You're a minister of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as whatever it is you do for a living. How can we be the best ministers of Jesus Christ that we can possibly be? That's what we want you praying about. We want you praying for us as leaders. We want you praying for each other, that God will take this church and do something something amazing with it. We do not want to waste the opportunities in front of us. We do not want to, to ever look back and say, I wish we would have tried this. I very seriously doubt we're in danger of risking too much, <laughs> most of us in life. So let's, let's pray and beg and plead with the Lord that he will take us and do something amazing with us that, he, that will give him all the glory and will reach people with the gospel.